Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, help us ever to retain your word, to hear it and digest it and to use it in our lives. Help us endure to the end. Be with those who were not able to make it here today, that they also may hear your word and be encouraged. In your name we pray, amen. I'm tired of winning, said no one ever. I doubt John McEnroe ever said that, or Tiger Woods for that matter. There are things of which we never grow tired. I never grow tired of kissing my wife. Never grow tired of my favorite music I've listened to since I was a kid. I never grow tired of winning at Microsoft Solitaire. And some of you may never grow tired of watching the Super Bowl, no matter who's playing in it. In a similar way, we Christians should never grow tired of hearing about Christ's victory over death, sin, and the devil. It's good news. The best you'll ever hear in your life. And we hear lots of good news in our lives, you know, birth of a child, get a new job, get accepted to a college, whatever. I mean, there's lots of good news we get, but Christ and eternal life is the best you'll ever get. And we may think we've heard it so many times, we need to move on to something else. We look around and see problems. We got anxiousness and anxiety in the church. We need answers to these problems not just to hear about the cross again. The Apostle Paul, however, with a congregation much like ours in Corinth, knew the only answer was the cross. And we can only begin to fathom all the implications of the cross of Christ and His resurrection. And even then, just a little bit, can we fathom it? If we really knew what the victory of the cross meant, not only for the last day of this world, but for every day before, we would never grow tired of hearing it. If we could just taste a bit of what it would be, we would crave it now, and we would beg for more and more. I pray that as you hear the good news of Jesus in this service today, you get a foretaste of what is to come. I would be overconfident to assume you get excited about the gospel because... Well, this is a Lutheran church, and <laughs> we Lutherans never look excited. We're serious and deliberate worshipers. Well, perhaps then you'll be emboldened today then, huh? As you sit rigid and stone-faced going into the future because you know the days ahead are not going to be easy. Yet Christ emboldens you with courage and strength to remain faithful until the last day. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, Epiphany is wrapping up. Next Sunday is the transfiguration of Jesus, and Lent will begin after that. And because we experience these events year after year, we can feel we already know the story and become complacent with it. We forget how much the law demands, and we forget the depth of the gospel. The Corinthians had this problem, even though they were new Christians who hadn't had the advantage of hearing the gospel generation after generation, like we have. Nevertheless, they argued as to which of their pastors was the greatest, 
They argued among each other as to who, whose spiritual gifts were best. I speak in tongues, one of them said. Another, another of them said, I receive prophecies. And one of them sued his fellow church member, which caused the church public embarrassment. Some were sleeping with people they shouldn't have been sleeping with, and no one was calling them out on it. They fought about the role that women should have in the church. Women were claiming to have visions and prophecies and speaking in tongues, but others, including women, some of the other women were saying, were saying no, women should be tending to the poor, the orphans, and widows. Some Christians in Corinth were saying there was no resurrection. How do you call yourself a Christian and say there's no, no resurrection? You can't. Well, I mean, you can say it and believe it, but no one else is going to believe that you're a Christian. It was a mess. It was a mess over there in Corinth. And we think we have problems here. The Corinthian Christians back in the 50s, and I don't mean the 1950s, I mean the original 50s, <laughs> the year 55, believed they were mature in faith, but Paul tells them they're still babies. Don't you dislike being called a baby? What's the matter, you little baby? Oh, insulting, infuriating. Yet it's what the Apostle Paul, whose namesake is on this congregation, says to these Christians. I wonder if he would say the same to us today. If you were Paul, <clears throat> where would you even begin with these people? How do you clean up some of the mess and steer people back to the truth and let the Spirit guide all things and bring people into one mind in Christ, unity and peace and brotherhood and all of that? It's daunting to think about. When I think of these letters of Paul to the early Christians and sometimes think of our own church, the, the start button comes to mind. You know what I mean? The start button. You know the start button on your Windows PC? You know, you Mac users out there, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah? But since 1995, Microsoft has put a start button on the Windows desktop. You know, so where, wherever, whenever you just don't know where to go on your computer, where do I find this? How do I get to that? You know, you go to the start button. That's why they put that there. It's a place to begin. Go back to the beginning. And I think of Paul needing a kind of start button with some of these churches, including the Corinthians. Where do you go back to find the answers? Well, you push the start button and you get to the cross. The cross was Paul's start button. That's where he went back to with these Christian babies. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified, he says. The Corinthians had tried to move on from that message. They thought the cross was for beginners. Oh, not another sermon about the cross, they'd whine. It's too basic. Let's move on to more difficult, mysterious concepts. And let's also focus on the business of our church. But it was precisely because they had overlooked the cross that they fell into such a terrible mess. My friends, the cross is not basic Christianity, nor is it advanced 
Christianity. The cross is the whole thing from start to finish. It sheds light on all matters of faith and life. We believe that Christ died for us, and whoever believes has life forever. It happened on a cross, and that we were made righteous in the sight of God our Father. If we follow Paul's logic in this letter to the Corinthians, we see he addresses their problems by asking two questions. What decision would bring glory to Christ, and how can we imitate Christ crucified toward one another? So, for instance, consider the lawsuit. Should you sue your fellow Christian? Well, first ask yourself, would it bring glory to Christ if you did that? Would Would suing your brother or sister in Christ cause his name to be praised or mocked? Second, would it be Christ-like to sue your fellow believer? Would it be helpful to the congregation and build it up and encourage it in faith and love to do so? When you ask the right questions, the decisions become clearer. If you ask worldly questions like, what's in it for me? How will I benefit? You'll just get a worldly answer. But if you stay in the light of the cross, to the glory of God and the benefit of your brother, sister in Christ, and your neighbor, the conclusions and result are more like Christ and what's in his mind. This is why, again and again, God teaches people through the church the same message. We're all sinners, but but he has reconciled us to himself by the blood of Jesus. And I have given you... His spirit that you may believe and have life, Jesus says to the church. So I invite you to learn it again. This is my life as a preacher, right? I study the same thing every week. Oh, that I would every now and then love to take a break from the routine and lecture you for 15 minutes on the Battle of Midway or, you know, another one of my favorite subjects. The Corinthian problem pulls on me as well. Let's talk about something we haven't heard a thousand times. Wouldn't it be awesome to sit at the feet of Jesus now and ask him any subject and he would teach us? Ask him about the universe. Ask him about Mars. (laughs) Ask him, why is there air? (laughs) Anything. The reality is, We are at his feet now, hearing his word from Paul, Moses, from Deuteronomy, and Matthew. Let's not assume we already know these texts, but hear them with fresh ears each time. For in the cross, all things are revealed. There is so much to learn, and we are still babies. We have been foolish, but God is willing to teach us again and again. How many times have you had to teach your children the same things over and over again? How many times did you repeat yourself? More than you can ever remember. (laughs) That's how many. And in a similar way, God must repeat himself constantly if we are to ever learn and inwardly digest and have it change us to be more like Christ. 
But God is okay with that because he is also very patient. He's happy to repeat himself. And sometimes I think that's why he established the church. Not just to do good works for the world, but to repeat the message so that it will take root with people who are good soil. He's happy to repeat himself because he wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So we pray. Jesus, teach us more and more about you every week. That we are saved by your grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of you, crucified and risen. Give us a love for that message and give us the spirit to act accordingly. May you never grow tired of teaching us about your kingdom and how we live in it. To you alone be all glory. Amen.